Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into quite a pertinent discussion. Every Friday, we get into uh, the hard economics of the country. And yes, yesterday, uh, there was a big MPC meetings. We've had uh, interest rates, um, you know, rising by 25 basis points or 0.25%. That was uh, the decision that came out, uh, you know, from Reserve Bank Governor, uh, Minister Leseho Khanyago together with his team on that. And usually in a normal week, uh, that tends to be the biggest economics news. Uh, But, you know, at the moment when we think about the bread and butter issues that we're dealing with, uh, one of the things that is affecting, you know, almost everyone across the country um, is this issue of power. You know, having regular uh, reliable energy and power you know seems to be a goal that the country um, is uh, struggling to meet at the moment uh, currently facing one of the longest bouts if not the longest bouts of load shedding that we've seen um, you know in South Africa because almost every two to three days we hear you know that the country is either on stage one or on stage two and to talk about um, some of these things particularly uh the firstly the economic impact but also at the same time you know what can be done to actually fix uh the issue there and whether or not the fix comes from um you know government itself and you know in soe such as escom or whether we as uh, citizens we as people we as uh, the people in the country have a role to play whether as uh, you know private power producers whatever it is right this is what we are going to be talking about and for today we are happy to be joined uh, by a really great panel now we've got Gladwin um, Alicia who is uh, the deputy president for the Durban uh, Chamber of Commerce and Industry uh, who's joining us from Durban and then we've also got uh, the head of the energy center um, over for the council for scientific and industrial research uh, usually referred to as the CSIR uh, that is uh, Clinton uh, Carter Brown, who is joining us from Pretoria, and we're looking to have, you know, quite a great discussion. Gentlemen, it's really great to have you on with us today. I think I'm just going to start with both of you, just giving us some, you know, some quick thoughts, you know, uh, at the because we've already mentioned the fact that this is probably one of the longest, if not the longest bouts of load shedding that we've had. Uh, you know, your impressions on the issue and some of the uh, real world um, impacts that you guys are seeing, you know, from, you know, uh, where you are in the country. Gladwin, you know, Simply because uh, you are in KZN, you know, and, uh, you know, Clinton and I happen to be in Gauteng. We're going to uh, start with you, you know, your thoughts. And as you're giving your thoughts, maybe uh, just an introduction uh, to the Durban Chamber and some of the work that you guys are doing. Thank you. Uh, my name is Gladwin Malisha, uh, Deputy President of the Durban Chamber of Commerce and Industry. The Durban Chamber is mainly the advocacy and lobbying group or uh, organization and an NPC for the organizations in Durban, like the multinational companies, small enterprises, even SOEs are members of the Durban Chamber of Commerce and Industry. So we are mainly the voice of business. So the, the impact of logic sharing is actually quite big. What you're experiencing in Gauteng is the same. Uh, we are experiencing the same in, in Durban, quite worse, uh, 
because we have this conference going on this week where we have all the uh, African delegations in Devon discussing opportunities and uh, buttering in terms of doing business, what can we supply in other countries and what can we buy from them. And we have a full house in terms of hotels. So as a Devon chamber, then we are the voice. Uh, when it, the time of load shedding comes, we raise our voice and say, please, can we do something else? Because we've got delegations here. We don't want our name to be ruined because of the load shedding. So hence why we've been like voicing out from government and saying, please do something about this. We've been actually saying for some time, the impact is quite huge. Uh, if you are traveling uh, to Durban for holiday and you find the hotel doesn't have electricity or you can't visit the places that you want to go and see, the sightseeing site, and you find that you can't enter because there's no electricity, it affects you as a business person who offering those services. It affects the person who's coming from another province or another country who's coming to visit the, the province and then can't really experience. So those are some of the things that we actually face with when it comes to the load shedding. It is a big problem. I think every stage we are losing about a billion rand. And that billion rand is not just money, but it's salaries, it's a cost to equipment, it's cost to operations. So if you put it together, we, we look at it about a billion rand that we lose per load shedding. So if we've got two stage two load shedding, we're losing about two billion rands of uh, of revenue. So that's how much the impact we see on the ground. A lot of people are losing jobs. Uh, I was just passing an ATM and trying to withdraw some money. The ATM was not working because when the electricity came back, something went wrong. So, you know, there are a lot of things that are happening that are actually affecting business, not just business, but the workers who work for businesses. If you have workers who come to work disgruntled because they've been fighting on the traffic light uh, because of uh, load shedding, you know, one needs to allow another to move or you have kids that wanted to go to school, but you could not prepare lunch because you don't have electricity. So it affects people when they come to work, they can't be productive as much as. So those are the impact that we see. Uh, on the ground yeah it, it's certainly uh what's the word i'm looking for it's certainly quite a dire um you know situation that we're dealing with and especially uh that point that you highlighted at the beginning yeah around uh some of the tangible reputational issues uh that south africa then faces to say that you know you you are hosting this uh this this uh the summit this conference in durban at the moment trying to spur on investment and all of that stuff but you know how does does the fact that people are in an environment where there's no electricity, etc., how does all of that uh, feed into the perception and ultimately the investment case, you know, for you know, for South Africa and especially uh, given South Africa's place um, as the so-called most developed economy, um, you know, on the continent? Um, Clinton, uh, your take, uh, your take on this, and uh, maybe uh, some background on what's going on at the CSIR. Uh, thanks, and. Good afternoon, good evening to everyone. Look, we from the Council for Scientific Research have been doing some deep R&D in the energy space, really looking at you know the present challenges as well as the future. And you know what, what are the opportunities for South Africa? Uh, we come from a very carbon-intensive coal-based electricity and power system. We also turn coal into liquid fuels. We have climate change um, and price parity and economic um, considerations in terms of our energy mix, but that all pales into almost insignificance when one is having deep continuous load shedding. It's, it's extremely debilitating. Um, electricity and energy is the lifeblood of any economy. Uh, the reality is that in South Africa, 
our electricity consumption over the last 10 years has actually largely been flat. So this is not a, this is not a positive impact of massive economic growth. In fact, if we were unable to be building new capacity and keeping the system adequate because we were simply building so much industry and the economy was booming, that would be a wonderful actual problem or challenge to have, one that could be relatively easily and quickly overcome. But the reality is that consumption is flat. Um, and we sit with uh, an aging and poorly performing coal-fired power station fleet that is reaching end of life um, that hasn't been adequately maintained and which ESCOM is now really, really grappling with in terms of whether it's technical issues, people issues, process, procurement challenges. I think there's there's deep complexity and it's very, very clear that we need as a as a country, we are in a crisis. We need to find a solution and that solution will be multifaceted. So, um, you know, we, 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 we know that load shedding is having an extremely debilitating impact on the economy. Just by way of example, you know, typically we are paying in the region, depends on your tariff, maybe it's one rand fifty to two rand a kilowatt hour. Um, the economic cost of not having electricity is more than an order of magnitude. It's in the region of 80 to 90 rand a kilowatt hour is the economic cost of not having electricity. And then, of course, when you start to look at, at all the spin-offs in terms of investment, I mean, we need to be driving direct foreign investment, not just in the electricity sector, but in the economy broadly, um, and not being able to supply our existing load, let alone increased load, is, of course, having a dire impact. And I think that is now recognized that at the highest levels within government, and we really need to now get going with the implementation of the solutions. We're great as South Africans to talk. Um, but when it comes to the implementation, we really need to give that a lot of intense focus now. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know how else to say it, but yeah, it's one of those discussions that really does start off, <laughs> that really does start off on a low, uh, because it's one of those things. And some of the numbers uh, that you guys uh, are quoting, I heard uh, Gladwin mentioning, you know, the 2 billion rand cost, you know, that he highlighted. And you hear Clinton talking about how, you know, 1 rand 50 about, you know, for a mega, you said, a me is it a megawatt? A kilowatt hour. A kilowatt, yes, a kilowatt hour, you know, ends up turning to 80, 90 rand because, you know, that's the cost of, um, you know, of not having um, electricity. So with all of that said, you know, maybe uh before we 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 get into some of the you know he said she said you know type of discussions, um, how do you guys sort of characterize the problem? Right, because we we see its impact, we see its effects, and uh, I don't want to. Do, for now, I just want to get into the positives, and then we, we might come back to how things can be fixed. But um, there was a there was a word that uh, Clinton, you know, brought out just now, and that was you know, um, you know, they are constantly thinking about you know opportunities, you know, around energy use, etc. But those efforts are hampered by the fact that there's no electricity for them to, you know, continue doing the work that they do. Uh, so maybe we can have that discussion about the opportunities, uh, you know, that come out from something like this, if any, 
right? Uh, because um, it's a, it's one of those things that we've been talking about for a couple of years now, and the needle doesn't seem to be moving, you know. So perhaps, you know, as they say, uh, insanity is trying the same things over and over again, you know, the same way and expecting different results. So in terms of us trying something different, um, you know, just starting with you, uh, you know, Gladwin, and then we'll, he- we'll come back to Clinton, you know, how are you seeing the opportunities when it comes to uh, something like the low shading discussion? Yeah. Well, there are a lot of opportunities. Uh, as much as we are crying about the load shedding, the best opportunity will be it could transform the country. You know, we have got a lot of uh, people who are outside of the economy who can be brought in, you know, into the economic mainstream through the energy sector if it's done correctly. But you know what? You need energy in order to execute those plans. <laughs> Without that electricity, it becomes also very difficult to execute them. But look at uh, silly things such as if you live in your house, uh, you know, you use your bathrooms, the sewer can create electricity. The garbage can create electricity. That's where you need, therefore, to, to, to say how then do you bring SMMEs, including the local municipalities, to be involved in creating their own electricity? So the private sector is actually looking at those kind of opportunities. But you need government to be clear on the policy, because if they are not clear, you can't invest on something that might change tomorrow and government decides to do something else. So we need to be clear in terms of the policy. We need to be clear that we want to use this energy crisis in order to better you know, the the economy of this country by allowing as many people, especially the SMMEs, to get into the bagwagon of the, the, the social economic solutions in terms of the energy. There are opportunities. Opportunities if we say, for instance, every house as a policy in the country must have, for instance, a solar panel. Uh, that will actually create the manufacturing in the country. Um, I'll tell you, money will come for those investments. Job will be created. You'll see the spin-offs in the economy, not only for South Africa, but you've got Africa that needs to be light up, that those things can be exported. As I said, we've got a conference here that's dealing with investment and trade in Africa. Those are the opportunities. But if also we see it and we think someone else needs to give us solutions, we're going to find other people coming to South Africa giving us solutions, take the money away, and then we've got serious issues of unemployment, serious issues of economic development. But it is up to us to say, can we have a conversation about the energy sector? Where are the opportunities? How, what can we do you know, to make this work? There are opportunities in South Africa, and we can make this work. I'm glad when perhaps I can just uh, get in a quick follow-up to what you've just said, um, challenge a little bit um, around uh, the issue of policy and government and that place because um, on the one hand, someone would say, well, true entrepreneurship is identifying a problem and just, you know, going ahead and finding a solution with it. The problem is quite clear. Like we're, 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 we're fighting. We don't have the lights. Right. <laughs> so I guess it's like, it's like a, it's like a chicken versus, chicken versus the egg type of question to say, do, do small businesses and entrepreneurs really need a government to put in a, a policy around uh, alternative energy or solar etc you know for them to come up with solutions that they can go to the market with because the market is already suffering uh, and they they are already looking for some of these alternatives let me let me give you an example of a, a textile industry people were investing in the uh, manufacturing of clothes and so on but the government changed the policy 
it was easy now to import than to buy from the country. So mm. all of those investments went down the drain. So we need to avoid this kind of a situation when it comes to energy. We can't repeat the same problem. Mm. There are entrepreneurs who have identified a lot of opportunities. But the first problem is that you need electricity in order to start manufacturing. Number two, you need government to be clear in terms of policy. What are the tariffs of people who are importing versus the people who are manufacturing within the country? Mm. If that is not cleared up, it becomes a problem. There are many people who are calling themselves entrepreneurs by going to countries in the East or the West, look at the solutions that are there and bring them here. But there are people within South Africa who are saying, we don't need to buy solutions from other countries or other continents, but we can create our own solutions within the country. But we need government to be clear because I can't put my last money for my children for something that government can just change tomorrow. And then my wife is asking, where is the money? So we need to be clear in order us to have confidence when we start investing in these opportunities. So that is the part which is very important the government needs to play. You must remember even the IPPs, how many years have people waiting for a, a sort of a clear direction where government wants to go? Even now you've got one minister saying the other and the other minister saying the other thing. If there's a change of government, what would that mean? You know. So those are the things which are very important that we clear up for businesses in order for them to start you know in, investing in our economy okay no it certainly makes sense when you when you clarify it from that point of view clinton your take um you know on these issues of uh you know the opportunities you know that uh you know that lie there uh, can we not let you know a, a good crisis go to waste <laughs> never let a good crisis go to waste and and there's a big opportunity here I think if we were sitting 10 years ago with the technology of that time, um, we would have a far bigger challenge because in the past, the way that you supplied electricity cost effectively was through large capital intensive projects such as coal-fired and nuclear power stations. And that typically has anything but from a seven to 10 year lead time. Um, and that's part of our legacy. What we now, however, experience is that we, we have a country that has lots of land mass. We have excellent sunshine and wind. And the technology maturity, as we've seen in recent years, is such that now rooftop solar, um, embedded wind, wind power generation, waste to energy, the technologies have evolved massively, just like we've seen in the, the transition from landline to cellular telephone technology. Uh, we are seeing the same level of democratization in the energy space. Ten years ago, it would have been extremely impractical and expensive for any of us to have gone and installed PV and battery systems on our own homes. Um, in the last 10 years, the cost of those systems and the cost of the energy from those systems. So yes, there's a, a very real need for the consumers such as ourselves working with our municipalities to be have the necessary systems and processes and centers to be able to install these kinds of distributed systems. While at the same time, we are procuring the large utility scales, ESCOM, so that we're also building out large-scale infrastructure, whilst we as sort of consumers are also installing smaller embedded distributed systems. So there's a, a lot of opportunity to roll out systems of different scale, but it requires it requires certainty. I mean, in many respects, the private sector is moving. People are doing what makes sense for them. And you and I, those that can afford it, uh, will go out and procure battery systems. Um, it's not necessarily going to be optimized. It's not necessarily going to be coordinated. Um, and I think that's where there's a lot more that can be done to actually provide the necessary 
frameworks and systems for people to do that in a more effective and coordinated manner. So we have the technology now to be able to solve this crisis relatively quickly. Um, it's now a matter of consistency and, and providing the platforms to do that. Um, when it comes to the different technologies that people you know, have, um, just talking to some of the people in the sector, some of the energy experts, you sort of um, get the sense that you know when you look at uh, solar, for example, solar PV, I think that's what it's called, uh, because I'm not, you know, I'm not very uh, well versed on the technical front of this. Uh, but you do get the sense that uh, we have reached an inflection point of some sort, um, where uh, the cost to produce um, you know, electricity, um, you know, on the, some of those alternative systems that are home-based, um, has actually come down, you know, such that it can get, um, feasibly get into people's hands, you know. So maybe, uh, from that point of view, from the research that you guys are, you know, seeing and doing, Clinton, um, as a follow-up to the different technologies that you've highlighted, you know, we always talk about, uh, solar. You know, that seems to be the one that everyone is talking about. But is that the only one that people can actually bring in as normal consumers into their own homes um, at the moment, just based on what's there? Yeah, look, and we've done a deep analysis of that, looking at the techno-economics of, of not just solar, but all the different technology options, whether that even be fossil fuels such as natural gas, coal, um, nuclear, solar PV, wind, waste to energy. Um, and what we see from a CSR based on our deep modeling is that the renewable energy sources are now providing us with the cheapest, lowest cost electricity, um, but they need to be part of a broader energy mix. You know, we know that the sun does not shine at night. Um, so, you know, solar PV alone, whilst it will make a very positive impact on our energy system, solar PV alone is not sufficient. So it needs to be part of a broader energy mix battery energy storage, gas to power. And we know that if we go and procure and we install a lot of, for example, solar PV and wind, which can be done quickly, it's going to have a very, very positive impact on load shedding. I mean, we are we are load shedding during the day. We are load shedding at night. We are even load shedding on weekends. Um, and what that means is that any energy that we can get into the system helps. It doesn't have to be nighttime energy at 7 p.m. when we have our network peak. We have the likes of the pump storage, and without getting into the technical specifics, um, all energy sources that we can bring online, but that don't lock us in to long-term off-take agreements that are going to be incredibly expensive in the long term. And this is where we see the opportunity for the country. The technology we have today, specifically in solar PV and wind, um, it provides us with low-cost energy that's also low-carbon. Um, and as part of our long-term energy mix. So there's no compromise here. There's no hard trade-offs that need to be made. Um, this is a simply about implementing the portions of the future energy mix that all of our modeling shows is going to reduce our costs in the long run. But we need to accelerate that and get that into the energy system very quickly. Um, you know, uh, what, I'm actually impressed by how much 
you know, we've been able to talk about load shedding in South Africa for more than 20 minutes without mentioning the word ESCOM uh, or without getting into uh, the issues that surround ESCOM. So maybe uh, that can be one of the places that we do end off um, this discussion just to talk about um, what's going on, because at least um, we've done well to articulate some of the opportunities um, that exist for people to, to come in and uh, actually provide some of these services, but also at the same time, um, the place and the role uh, that consumers you know, can take um, when it comes to, I guess, offloading some of the burden um, from uh, the, likes, the likes of ESCOM. And because one of the things that we can't always forget is the fact that this is probably one of the better run uh, power utilities on the continent, you know, despite all the books, despite all the issues and the problems that we have. So from that point of view, um, you know, Gladwin, you know, how are you seeing things playing out um um, on the ESCOM side. And I wanted to focus specifically on leadership between, because at the moment, that's one of the big debates about whether or not um, Andre DeRate and his team should stay. You know, people are calling, you know, for him to go. Others are saying, no, why should he go? We need continuity. You know, let them actually implement whatever plan that they have and they can be judged over the long term as opposed to just having a, you know, revolving door, you know, at Megawatt Park. Thank you. I, I think on that one, we are more solution driven than personal issues or political lines because I think we need to be careful as a country that we don't. Uh, draw this into political lines or in terms of personal issues. I think even if you change the leadership, what is a solution that you are bringing? Because you're going to put a different person, but if that person comes into an ESCOM that has some issues within that he can personally find a solution for, he's going to be in the next few months, people raising their hands and say they must be removed as well. So I think we, we need to find solutions. What are the issues we are saying as a business sector, maybe involve more private sector, get more expertise from the private sector, let people understand what is happening in ESCOM uh, be brought back so that they could actually identify where are the issues, create a program. Uh, right now, I think we, we're just repeating uh, uh, what we have done before, change the leadership, change the leadership, and that doesn't change the problem. So I think it's very important that we, we, we look at it differently now to say, let's change the problem now. Maybe we'll find a solution when we do that. If we feel, for instance, that the team is not doing well, the CEO report to the board and the board has a minister. So what are we saying? We're saying let's fire from the minister downward. But the same people who are working there every day, have we interviewed them and find out exactly what's going on in ESCOM? Why are we having so many uh, power lines tripping? Is it because of the, how the management is doing things or is it because of the, the ailing infrastructure that we have? So it is important that we go deeper into the problem before we identify people to say they must be removed and so on. We can remove them and find ourselves two years down the line with the same problem. But let us look at the, the cost stuff. They, who are in the generation, who are actually working down on the grassroots. What are the issues that are happening there? Are they competent in terms of their work? Do they understand the issues that are happening there? You know, so if 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 we, we come from that angle, I think we're going to be able 
to to find solutions. But changing people, I think, is like changing any other department and find the same problem. Mm. Um, I, I, I certainly, I certainly get you there. Particularly the point to say that um, when you've got such deep-rooted system, systemic issues, you know, changing the changing changing the players is not going to change the game because ultimately the game is what needs to be uh, fixed. Clinton, you have the last word on uh, today's discussion. Your take just around uh, the national utility, um, you know, power generation in the country, where the problems lie or anything else that you, uh, you know, want to highlight. I, I think being the CEO of ESCOM must be one of the, the toughest jobs, if not the toughest job in the country right now. Um, have, we have seen demonstrated leadership from the CEO and the, the, the leadership, present leadership of ESCOM in terms of transparency and vision um, and clarity in terms of where they see the ESCOM business going. They, they've inherited a very, very difficult situation with a an aging and poorly maintained coal fleet and I think are themselves grappling with the extent to which um, these unplanned outages um, need or, or, or are fully understood. So, so the leadership has a serious challenge. I do not believe the change in leadership is the solution. I think they need our support, but they will themselves need to introspect deeply uh, into the organization as to what really is happening and to what extent these unplanned outages, um, can be addressed. So, um, there, there will be without doubt a lot of Further work be ongoing in ESCOM, um, and ESCOM needs to get the coal fleet performance up whilst they transition. Um, and as those stations reach end of life, so they'll need to be replaced. And we've seen what's coming out of COP26. We see the new climate deals. We see a lot of opportunity to replace those aging assets, but that will take time. So, and I believe that, that the ESCOM leadership do appreciate the serious challenge and the need to, to restore the coal fleet EAF. Um, but they have also been very clear that they themselves can't do it alone. So in parallel with ESCOM doing what ESCOM needs to do, we also need to have a policy and regulatory environment within which the private sector can install a lot more capacity and quickly. So, so this is multifaceted. ESCOM need to, 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 to get the coal fleet EAF up. Um, and then we need to get the private sector building out a lot of capacity in parallel. It's not one thing or the other. Thanks. So that's been it. A uh, very fascinating discussion. We were with uh, uh, Gladwin Amalishe, who is uh, the Deputy President for the Durban Chamber of Commerce um, and Industry. And uh, we're also talking to uh, Clinton uh, Carter, uh, Carter Brown, who is uh, the head of the Energy Center uh, over at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, that is the CSIR. Now, uh, both gentlemen agree uh, that there's a lot of opportunity. I'm glad that um, in terms of today's discussion, it wasn't um, a rehashing of all the problems, um, you know, that are currently faced, but um, there were a lot of solutions that are being proffered just around um, some of the opportunities uh, that lie, you know, at the moment. Um, Gladwin talking about the fact that um, a, a lot of policy certainty needs to be given, um, you know, just so that uh, small businesses or anyone who decides to invest in providing some of these alternative 
energy solutions um, is able to get some type of you know certainty from that point of view so as to avoid you know some of the mishaps that were seen over in the textiles industry uh, back in the day and then Clinton you know talking about I like um, you know what he says about uh, you know you can't uh, you can't put a good crisis to waste you know to say that there is a lot of opportunity at the moment and they are actually doing a lot of research around um, the different um, energy sources that are there uh, that uh, consumers can take on into you know uh, into their own homes and some of the other um, alternative energies because um, the sun doesn't shine uh, the whole day so looking at or just relying on something like solar you know can't just be the end all of everything it needs to be a concerted effort um, where you have your different energy sources all um, working together trying to grapple um, with this problem and then um, ending off just talking uh, a little bit about what's going on over at ESCOM uh, to say that uh, uh, Andre Direta and his team uh, they've actually in inherited you know quite a deep uh, a deep problem you know that's there and uh, you know both gentlemen talking about the fact that it's a tough issue but you know just trying to cut out you know different leaders and trying to do a game of music ch musical chairs is not likely uh, going to be you know the way forward uh there just needs to be execution um on um, on all of the proposed plans and then hopefully um over time we can take um we can actually reverse uh, you know decades uh, of whatever's been going on there to actually take the country forward gentlemen thank you so much for being with us today thank you thank you very much this is Mudiwa's take a really great discussion uh, with uh, the gents, um, you know, from the Durban Chamber of Commerce as well as the CSIR, uh, just around where we are in terms of, you know, load shedding, power generation in the country and all of that, you know, very, very, very important discussion. But what I'm glad about, as I, you know, articulated just now, is that fact that it's not just a discussion around what's going on uh, at ESCOM or you know just complaining about this and that because the problems are well articulated we are facing it on a daily uh, on a daily at the moment so you know rehashing you know what the problem is is not progressive but rather you know looking at how can we take you know these things forward um how can we as consumers find ways to plug our own uh, power generation holes to reduce uh, that reliance on escom and um, you know uh, yeah escom and that type of thing but at the same time from a small business point of view how can you look at the existing problems and find ways to provide the solution be the one um who is supplying the the businesses and the consumers when it comes to uh, their power generation needs one of the things that um, Clinton did highlight is the fact that South Africans, uh, South Africa's power generation hasn't changed, right? Not not power generation, sorry, power consumption hasn't changed. It's it's remained relatively flat um, over the decades, right? Which sort of speaks to the fact that a utility that could once supply the system can't supply the system anymore. So 
the utility somehow needs to be fixed. And I think that will be, you know, my last point to say that, you know, having some type of a musical chairs um, at ESCOM, I really don't think that is a progressive way of uh, of looking at the issue. Yes, everyone is calling for uh, this person should be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? This person should be ousted. This person should step down. Uh, there have been calls from different groups from under director to step down and all of that. And yes, it's understood because we are facing the, the, the longest bout of load shedding right now. But simply changing, you know, leaders at the top is not, is likely not going to change the issues on the ground. And the issues on the ground are decades in the making. The issues that are happening right now, the load shedding, uh, the power generation issues, the uh, the capacity limits, all of that stuff, that's not something that happened overnight. This stuff has happened over decades. So it seems unrealistic to think that uh, we as a country can actually expect um, that Andre Direita and his team could fix something that took decades you know, to happen and just untangle it within, you know, a period of, you know, maybe one or two years, right? Uh, these are decades long issues and it's likely going to take uh, a somewhat equal amount of time to truly, you know, get to the point. Hopefully in the next five to 10 years, uh, something will be fixed because there's a lot of undoing, you know, that needs to be done both at a head office level, but all the way down uh, to the different power stations, the supply chains, there's a lot of moving parts you know when you think about this but you know just simply having you know changing rotation in terms of leadership something like that is likely not going to be progressive you know the the problem is here uh, the plans are there people know what needs to be done the the message should rather be about execution And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.